Hi, I'm Steve Hayes, and I'm a pastor, and I'm a sinner, and I love stories. I love to hear people's stories. I love to hear how God has worked in their lives to help change them and make them who they are. And I think we all need to hear those kinds of stories. So I hope you'll enjoy it and listen along with This Is My Story. Hi, I'm Rusty Hayes, and this is my story. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Is My Story with Steve Hayes and now with Rusty Hayes. Yeah. Because my brother Rusty has joined us all the way from Monument, Colorado. And uh, he's here visiting, and we thought it'd be a good idea to do a little podcast together. So welcome, Russ. Good to see you. Man, it's great to be here. Thanks for uh, joining me on this. Um, let's start with the good stuff, man. You and I, well, we know each other probably better than anybody in the world. Um, give, give, give everybody one good childhood story uh, that involves me maybe open the curtain for the listening <laughs> audience here <laughs> well steve was the most annoying brother was in the world past tense <laughs> <laughs> still am so when we were kids steve had this preoccupation with woody woodpecker and uh you know i'd have i'd bring a date home or something trying to be alone with the girl and steve would run into the room and he'd go right in my face he's the most annoying kid ever and he was yes. crazy you were crazy yeah uh, how many concussions did you have oh we i've had up? i've had many uh, double digits at yeah. least i remember seven by the mm-hmm. time you're a freshman in high school he would do. Yeah. He would take any dare. So one time, he I dared him to pretend he was Superman. So he, he puts a towel around his neck, and I said, "Let's see if you can fly to the bottom of the stairs." We were on the second floor of our house. Yeah, and, twelve uh, steps on that stairway. And he took off and tried to fly and landed on his head, and got a concussion. Boom, just yep. like that. So, yeah, I actually, <laughs> I actually broke both my kneecaps. And my head went through the the wall at the end of the stairway, <laughs> and I got a concussion. So, good times, good times. That's true. I, I was, I, yeah, I was pretty annoying. I don't remember and, uh, the kneecaps getting crazy. Broken, but yeah, man, I could not even walk for a while. It was crazy. Anyway, uh, well, let me tell y'all. In fairness, let me tell y'all a story about Rusty. Rusty well, no, was go. really into martial arts when we were growing up. He Still loved am. Bruce Lee and. Everything else. The problem now is you try to kick and you pull a hamstring. <laughs> Get a hernia. <laughs> That's right. So when we were growing up, he was big into martial arts. Love Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, you name it. Yep. And um, <clears throat> he was always practicing his martial arts on me. So he was. He, there was a lot of homemade weaponry around That's our right. house. He made a he made a, a bow staff. You know, like a, a tri. What do they call that? A, it was like oh yeah, yeah, uh, three section staff. A three section staff. He made nunchucks. He made yep. throwing stars out of like saw blades, <laughs> and he would practice all this stuff on me. And he got into a big throwing star kick, and he was like, "Steve, stand against the wall in a garage and do not move, do not move." And then he 
he throw throwing stars at me and trying like get them get around as close my head. as possible to him. And he would always hit me. Always hit. And then I'd start crying. And he'd say, "Shut up! Take it like a man. <laughs> you move. You move. You move. It's your fault. Quit moving." <laughs> so anyway. Um, sorry, sorry about that. Sorry about that rabbit trail. Um, so Russ and I, let me give you a little background on Rusty. He, uh, we're both pastors, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that later on. Rusty's the uh, senior pastor at Renovation Church in mm-hmm. Monument, Colorado, and it's a it's a church plant, a new mm-hmm. church, and it's really going well. We'll talk about that later on, but probably the thing that has defined our life the most been the most profound incident that's happened in our lives and probably the source of the greatest pain in our lives is our dad's death when we were Mm -hmm. young dad died when i was what was i six yeah and you were 13 just turned 13 just turned 13 um i'll never forget that day so dad dad died in a huge like a 20 something car pile up at the base of um the I-10 bridge in Lake Charles. Yeah. Many of you have been over that bridge. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it was a scary bridge. It's a scary bridge now. It was a scary yeah. bridge then. Yeah. And there was a chemical leak in that area that, that caused a lot of problems, caused this massive um It's by an pilot. industrial area that makes that works with a lot of chemicals. And yeah. They had, a, they had a spill. They had a spill, and um, Dad's car, Dad was a passenger in a car. That car... It was a big old Oldsmobile station wagon, mm-hmm. big white station wagon. And his car was rear-ended by an 18-wheeler, and he was the only fatality in that whole wreck. And before we had a chance to, before they had a chance to really process things, and this was not in today's age of Internet and all of that, um, there was someone on the scene who knew that that was Dr. Hayes, mm-hmm. that our dad was killed in that wreck, and word got out fast. And so by the time we found out, our ho- I just remember our whole street was full of cars. Yeah. Because dad was a pediatrician. He was popular in our town. He grew up there. He was kind of a native son of yeah. Lake Charles. Very loved. Very well loved and treated everybody's kids. Mm-hmm. So there were, I mean— like hundreds of people at our house immediately after we found out. And you and I took off. You remember yeah. that? I don't remember you taking I I remember, yeah. I remember his partner, Dr. Calhoun, mm-hmm. came and told us. And, and he told mom, and mom about collapsed when she heard. And I saw all that. And I just took off. I ran to our friend's house, the Browns' house. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was family? I mean, we called them. Their, you know, Uncle Jim. I ran over there to right. Uncle Jim and Aunt Jeannie's place, and <clears throat> and Uncle Jim yeah. was driving the car. Yeah. So they were <clears throat> aware and devastated as well. It was awful. And I just remember. I don't know if it was right then or later on. We went riding our bikes, and we just went out in the woods. And you were like, "Don't say a word." Be quiet. We just sat out in the woods. Remember by uh, Jimmy Malott's dad's house? Mm-hmm. We sat out there, and nobody knew where we were. So then they were worried about, they were concerned about dad, and then they were worried about us. Mm. 
because you know I was tag along little brother, so I was on yeah. your heels wherever you went. Um, but that was just a that's a memory that I'll always have is just kind of being out in those woods. I think we wanted to be away from this circus. I mean, uh, Dad was really a local celebrity in yeah. that town, and when he died. It wasn't just traumatic for our family. It was traumatic for Lake Charles. He mm-hmm. had touched a lot of people. He was really a special man. Yep. I mean, to this day, people still tell me, when you were with Bobby Hayes, you felt like you were the only person in the world. You were mm-hmm. the most important person in the world. And uh, he he used that gift with children. And mamas, you know, would be there. And that child was precious to, to dad. And he just was a... I mean, you know, you young parents out there, you know what it's like when you have, when you find a good doctor for your children that really cares about them. It's a big deal. Right. And so it was just a crowd of people at our house, and I just didn't want to be around it. I can remember that. I didn't want to yeah. be around all these people looking at me. Right. So one thing so. I, I remember that has always kind of amazed me about you is that you seem to be able to go to move on from that. I know it has had tremendous effect on you but you're <clears throat> a preteen and going into your teenage years already a time for a lot of change now all of a sudden you're the man of the house mm-hmm. you know like that yeah and um but you seem to kind of step into that role pretty well at least socially you know you were um you were kind of mr everything in high school you you went in on the football team. You were Mr. Barb High School. You went off to, you know, a pretty, a pretty big college at the University of Colorado. And it didn't seem to be – because sometimes for kids who are that age, that can be a deal breaker and they just tailspin. Mm-hmm. But you didn't, you didn't do that. How did you – how were you able to overcome that and have some success in your life after going through that? Well, at the time, I did have a lot of anger over the fact that Dad died. And I was angry at God about it. But I I felt like I had a responsibility to not cause more problems for Mom and for our family. So I had a number of men come to me after Dad died. I mean, prominent men in the community, doctors and a senator came to visit visit me who knew dad and uh, they all said you're now the man of the house you're now rusty you got to step up and i took that very seriously and yeah, no know? pressure it's a lot of pressure wow. but um so on the achievement st- side in the public persona side i i tried to live up to that you know and really tried my hardest as an athlete uh, especially football and then good grades and all of that and I was popular but there was another side of me that was secret and that was you know after hours and you know I was drinking a lot I was getting into fights I was uh, you know sexually active and uh, just was living this double life so I wouldn't say, uh, you know, on the one hand, I, I, w- I did a good job. On the other, I was really hurting, and I didn't understand, you know. And then my senior year, I went on a retreat. I went on a youth retreat, and I didn't even want to go. I, to this day, I don't know how I ended up going on this youth retreat. 
And uh, we went to Memphis, Tennessee. Hmm. And during that retreat, I sensed that God was real and that he really loved me. Like uh, the, for the first time, maybe the first time, I, I really, under, uh, I had a, an experience of his grace. And I realized that God was a God of love and grace and that he wasn't just this cruel God that took our dad away for no reason. It wasn't just random, that God had a plan for dad's life. And uh, he was, he, he knew what he was doing and he loved me dearly. Mm-hmm. And that experience changed my life. I mean, I came back from that retreat and I gave my life fully to Jesus Christ. And part of that was I can't live in Louisiana right now because I've got too many temptations around here and I'm not strong enough. So I'm going to go right back to that lifestyle if I stay here. If I go to LSU or McNeese in in Lake Charles, I'll get right back in with my partying lifestyle. So I decided that I would move away and I went to the conservative uh, town of Boulder, Colorado, <laughs> of all places, uh, and the University of Colorado. I got accepted there, and actually it was great for me because I had a rebellious spirit, and to be a rebel in Boulder, Colorado is to be an evangelical Christian. Mm-hmm. There's no positive side to it. The, the culture does not accept that. Mm-hmm. And so you, it was really going against the culture of that town. And, you know, I got involved in all kinds of Bible studies and— uh, Originally, I was going to try to be a doctor like Dad. I was going to. My plan was to go to LSU Medical School, and go into uh, practice with our cousin uh, Kathy Fontenot. Mm-hmm. And uh, God called me my senior year into ministry. So, I remember that. I remember you leaving for Boulder. I remember. <laughs> I remember coming to visit you in Boulder. Um, I think I was 14 years old, and Mom thought thought it would be a good idea to board me on a Greyhound bus <laughs> to Boulder, Colorado, like 24 hours. It's like going to Japan. Man, know? I still have PTSD over that bus ride. That was some crazy stuff. But I made it there, and we had a blast, man. That was yeah. so fun. Um, some of those stories will remain between you and you and me, <laughs> but we, we had a great time and you were doing well there. Um, I do remember when you first left and this is kind of a theme in your life. I'm, I'm starting to see is, um, it, it never seems to, it's like this for me too. It never seems to come easy. There's mm. always these things that kind of knock you down. You got to get back up. You got to dust yourself yeah. off and keep moving. When you first went to Boulder, you got attacked. You basically got mugged That's right. by a hell's angel. I forgot about you that. You remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, you, I think you were going into a 7-Eleven, and this guy attacked you, and there was a group of them, and you ended up in a hospital. And that was like your first week of school. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't as innocent as that. I was with, a, with my roommate, and he took me to his hometown. And, you know, we took a trip. And we stopped at a 7-Eleven to get something. And this guy comes out of the 7-Eleven. He's got a full grocery bag full of stuff. And I was just kind of looking at him like, that's unusual, you know. And he goes, what are you looking at? You know, the guy just yells at me. And I still had that raging Cajun in me, that mm-hmm. that redneck 
I still do have that redneck in me, mm-hmm. you know. And I was like, I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> and I get out the car and he's like, you know, he's yelling at me. And I'm like, look, man, I don't want to fight you. And I look down and he, he sucker punched me and knocked me out. Like he hit me so hard, it knocked me out. It's the only mm-hmm. time in a fight I've ever been knocked out. And then he just tap danced on my head, man. He kicked me and. I go to school, my first day of school, I got two black guys. I mean, they're like this big. I look mm-hmm. like a raccoon. Mm-hmm. I can't talk like the people there. I got this thick southern accent and two black guys. It was it was something. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it's your first week of school. <laughs> yeah. I remember getting in class and some feminist teacher looked at me. She's going through that. She's like, what happened to you? I got in a fight. <laughs> yeah, so she probably loved that. She's like... <laughs> You're, You're part, part of the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Toxic masculin- masculinity in my class. So you overcome that, and you go through the rest of your college career and make it work, you know? And yep. that's kind of that's your MO, you know? You make it work. It hadn't been easy. It hadn't been easy for any of us, but you mm. keep going. You keep picking yourself back up and keep rolling. So you go into ministry, you're not planning on it, but that's mm-hmm. your, you know, God's plan for your life, obviously. And you end up, man, you end up in so many crazy places. You, We start out in southwest Louisiana. It's the only culture we know. You go to Boulder, Colorado, yep. like where, where they call it the University of California at Boulder. Yeah, you know, it's the most, right. yeah. one of the most liberal places in the world. Then you end up in Racine, Wisconsin. Yeah, and your first ministry job. Well, you went to Dallas for a bit, but then yeah. you end up in Racine, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. for your first ministry job at Grace Church. There, mm-hmm. tell us about that experience. That was a wonderful experience. I I went to Dallas Seminary, got my Master's of Theology, and uh, we went. And, uh, Judy's family had just moved. Judy's mom and dad had just moved to Racine, Wisconsin, and. Uh, her dad worked for Johnson Worldwide, and uh, the Johnson Wax Company is in Racine, and they, so he was part of that organization, that network, and uh, we went up to visit them one Christmas, and my mother-in-law happened to be the office manager for this church called Grace Church, and in seminary, my dream was to, I noticed, I. I had noticed two strong streams in the church that I wanted to merge. One was the charismatic movement, and they were way ahead of Baptists like we grew up in terms of worship. They were free in their worship, and their music was outstanding and contemporary, so it spoke to people. So all these charismatic churches were booming. I mean, they were just really growing, but their theology, a lot of uh, those churches, their theology was, was sketchy. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a lot of the Bible really being taught at a deep level. So the Baptist tradition that we grew up in, we learned the Bible, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, if you could take um, Baptist culture in terms of Bible, the, the value that Baptists and the evangelical movement put on the Bible, and you could merge that with the charismatic worship, you would have a complete church. And so... 
I, I didn't see many churches like that. And then I go to Racine, Wisconsin, which I didn't even know where, where Wisconsin was. I thought it was next to New York City. I had no <laughs> clue where it was. We'd go up there, and I walk into this church, and uh, Jerry Worsham was the pastor there. Uh, Jerry just passed away this past summer. But, man, what a man of God. And he had managed to pull that off. This church had outstanding uh, contemporary worship that really spoke the language of regular people and really solid preaching and theology. I thought, man, I would love to be on staff at a church like that. It was one of the fastest growing churches in the, the area. And Jerry pursued me. Hmm. Um, I met him and he started talking to my mother-in-law and Next thing you know, I, when I graduated, I had a job in Racine, Wisconsin, and my mother-in-law was my first secretary, my first assistant, and I didn't ask her to do anything. <laughs> she, she was awesome, but, uh, I was too scared to ask her to do anything. But I'll tell you what, man, she protected me. She watched over me and said, I, I love her to death. I'm still very close to her. So Awesome. So you go from there to Atlanta. I went to Atlanta for my first senior pastorate, Sugarloaf Community Church. And things go well there for a while. Mm -hmm. You you end up doing your first building campaign, yeah. leading a building campaign for a church there. And it's growing. Things are going well. And you probably experienced for the first time in your ministry, um, man, just some, some real difficulty where uh, things just didn't go the way you had hoped. And... Mm. Um, and it can get that way yeah, in the church that's ministry. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but you know, sometimes doing this, I think people have this glamorized view that when you become a pastor, you you're going into it, and you and it's all this kind of altruistic, beautiful, <laughs> you know, you you. You yeah. ride down the rainbow on your on your unicorn and <laughs> right into the pulpit and and deliver God's word to the masses yeah. and everyone, you know, just hears and listens and goes with it. But it's not that way. No. Behind the curtain, there there are often politics. Yeah, there are often power plays, and things like that really do happen within the church. What did you learn from that? Well, when I went to that church, uh, it did grow. It, it went re it went really well until 2008, mm -hmm. when the economy tanked in Atlanta, and all of a sudden, my big donors couldn't give anymore. And we just built this massive facility. We built a like a 10 million dollar facility, and we were struggling to pay the mortgage and to pay staff and. And yeah, some politics happen. And mm -hmm. one of the things I learned is that church, I mean, there's a reason why God likens the church to a family. It really is like a family. Like every, every family has junk. I don't care how healthy your family is. And because we're, we're fallen, we're sinners and we're not perfect. And so uh, as a young pastor, I just kind of thought, this is going to be, you know, it's the family of God. It's going to be this beautiful experience, and, you know, you're not going to have those issues. I had no, I wasn't prepared for that. Mm -hmm. And then I realized every church has that, you know, every, just like every family. And if you love each other, 
you work through it. And that's the power of forgiveness and grace. You know, if we do what Jesus tells us to do, bear with one another in love and uh, confess our sins to one another and act in a mature spiritual way, you can get through it. But I think the you know, most pastors go into ministry with this kind of idealism, you know, that we're going to create this heaven on earth, this heavenly community on earth. And you do. I mean, I would argue that the church, I don't know of any institution that doesn't have problems. You know, Mm -hmm. of course you're going to have these issues, but I still believe the church holds the hope of the world. It is the most impactful organization on the planet, hands down. I mean, the church, if you look at the church in the world, it's doing great, great things. I mean, millions and millions of people have their lives. They're better. They have better lives because of the work of the church. But just like a family, you know, you're going to have you're going to have altercations. You're going to have some dysfunction. And that is all lubricated by the love of Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and following his ways and if you don't come to grips with that ministry will eat you up yeah and that's why what is it 80 percent of all pastors do not leave uh they don't leave their careers as pastors they, right. they move on to something else they quit mm-hmm. and it's because i think because of that d- that discouragement that happens they yeah. burn out yeah know? and the church is the church is full of people the problem yeah. with the church is it's full of people, and you yeah. and I are, are some of them. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you're going to screw it up. Yeah, you know? that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so you go from Atlanta, and that's the other thing about I was going to say about a family. <clears throat> Sometimes it's best if a family separates and goes mm-hmm. to a different house. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. sometimes it's best if your kids move on to a different house. Sometimes it's it's best in a family if you know, you, you move on. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's what happened. You were able to move on. You moved on to uh, Rockford, Illinois, and went to First Evangelical Free Church. Mm-hmm. As y'all call it, First Free. I always yeah. love that, First Free. Yeah. And uh, First Free was a pretty historically significant church yeah. in that Chicago kind of area mm-hmm. and had lost a lot of momentum. And I think that's one of your big success stories. You were able to go in there and really find a, a, a good role for your leadership style, and it, it worked out well, and mm-hmm. you had a good experience there. I really did. That was an outstanding experience. Mm-hmm. And it was an honor to pastor that church. That church have been instrumental in starting Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is one of the country's most respected uh, seminaries and Bible colleges. They, uh, that church also was one of the first evangelical free churches in the mm-hmm. country. So it was a founding body of believers mm-hmm. and uh, just tremendous ministry heritage. Uh, it was At that time, it was over 130 years old, I believe, when I pastored there. And uh, they were wonderful people, just wonderful. Uh, they loved our family well. We still love them. We still have a great relationship with First Free. Um, matter of fact, uh, Steve Rout, the executive pastor there, has helped me with this new work we're doing. So, mm-hmm. and, and by the way, we still have a good relationship with, with uh, Sugarloaf Community, which later became Stone Mill Church. And uh, 
I was even an elder, uh, an overseer on their board until about three years ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it was, yeah, first free was a lot of work. Um, the, the church had, had lost a lot of people over the years, and uh, but God blessed it. And really, I blessed us tremendously mm-hmm. through that congregation, loved them. So, All right, so eventually... Uh, your time at First Free comes to an end, and you mm-hmm. the mountains start calling you again, man. It's time to get back the to Colorado. The mountains are calling, and I must go. <laughs> you must go, and so you end up going back to Colorado. You end up at the Ascent Church in Monument, Colorado. Mm-hmm. You're there for a few years, and it becomes clear through circumstances and everything else that um, that maybe the best route for you to go is to plant this church Yeah, that God is bringing about in a way that, again, not the way you would have chosen, mm-hmm. but it becomes clear, it becomes evident that this is where God is leading you and your family. And at in your 50s, with all this ministry experience, yeah. you're planting a church, which is one of the toughest things that anybody can do in ministry. How... How is that going? How's that experience been for you? You know what? It's been it's been an adventure, and it's been awesome. It really has been. I uh, went to yeah, I went to another church in the Colorado Springs area, and eventually was hired. Uh, there was a transition that we went through, and I was hired by New Life Church, which is the largest church in Colorado Springs. And originally, the plan was that I was going to be part of this, this, this wonderful new work, uh, where we were going to start a new campus of New Life, and uh, I was going to be the teaching pastor of that campus. Their model is their campuses each have individual preachers, mm-hmm. and man, I thought I really want to be a part of that. Uh, Brady Boyd, who's the senior pastor there, is a Louisiana brother. He's from. Louisiana, and we were good friends. And uh, then COVID hit, and so Brady called me and said, "Rusty, I'm sorry to say this, but we just don't feel comfortable right now starting a new campus. Uh, we want to see how all of this plays out." And that began a discussion about, "Okay, well, what's next for me and New Life?" And the leadership team at New Life kind of approached me through Brady and said, you know, we really, we think you're a senior pastor. And so here's what we we were prepared to do. We would like to commission you to start a new church and we will pay for your salary for the first six months Mm -hmm. as you're starting this church. And I was like, holy cow. And, you know, I went and talked to Judy and we prayed about it and we really felt like God was calling us to do this because most of my career, I've been a turnaround pastor. So I've gone into churches that were having trouble, and I, I seem to have a knack to help that church get back on its feet, and then God will move me on. But I've never been at a church where, from day one, we're creating the culture. And so I've really enjoyed the The great thing about that uh, planting a church at my age is I've got a lot of experience. I know how to pastor a church, and I have a lot of connections in ministry. So I've got people that I can turn to for help, mentors and resources. Um, mm-hmm. The negative of it is it you don't own a building. 
you have limited resources. You don't know, am I going to get paid throughout the course of this church plant? Is it going to get big enough? Uh, Got to be hard to, to take care of like kids and and youth yeah. and things like that. You don't have established ministries don't to depend on. Don't have staff, on. yeah. Mm-hmm. But God has really blessed this. Mm-hmm. And we... Uh, we're growing quickly. I mean, it's it's happening, right. and uh, it's it's really been exciting, man. Are you are you enjoying it? Yes, I am. I feel I feel a connection with this church like I never have. Now I've connected with all the churches I've pastored, but mm-hmm. this one is unique in that um, you really do get to create the feel, the mm-hmm. the uh, philosophy of the church from the ground floor. You're not having to change something. There's, in other words, any dysfunction you have there is your dysfunction. So I have to deal with my own dysfunction. <laughs> but it's not somebody, I'm not borrowing somebody else's hey, isn't dysfunction. Isn't that enough? That is dis- enough. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's going, it's going very well. Good, man. Yeah. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a quite a ride. Yeah. You know, and like I said, you've had some, some times where you've been knocked down, but you've been, You've been resilient, very resilient in ministry. And I think what I want you to talk about a little bit before we kind of close this out is just, you know, what do you do when when your call to God and your call to building his kingdom and establishing, you know, his name and making his name great, what do you do when that call becomes costly for you emotionally when it's hurtful when you experience bad things in the church when when you feel betrayed and turned on all things that you've experienced that I've experienced to a degree in ministry what do you do when your calling puts you in harm's way and even affects your family negatively how do you keep going I think it all comes down to your personal walk with the Lord Jerry Worsham, who hired me in Wisconsin, he used to say, uh, Rusty, your ministry should always be an overflow of your inner life. Uh, I remember one time, I was a young, I was in my 20s when Jerry hired me, and uh, we had this big outreach, and he let me be the guy that, that was in charge of it. And we brought in Mike Singletary. Remember him mm-hmm. from the Bears? Mm-hmm. And that was Green Bay Packer country, and you know it's right on the border. It's close to the border of Illinois, not far from Chicago. So there's this huge rival rivalry. I've never seen a rivalry like that, by the way. You know we're big LSU fans, mm-hmm. and we've got a rivalry with a number of teams, most notably Alabama. But if an SEC team goes to the championship, we'll pull for them. Right. You know, so it becomes the SEC. It's not that way between the Packers and the Bears, man. If the Bears go, the Packers are pulling for anybody who's playing the Bears, <laughs> and it's the other way around. And so I bring in Mike Singletary in the midst of that that fun, competitive culture, and, uh, you know, like 700 people showed up for this outreach, and I had fun with him. I got to spend the day with him, and I go and meet with Jerry after the event the next week and we're evaluating it. And I'm like, Jerry, 700 people came and man, it was so cool. And, and there was something off. There was a little pride in me. And Jerry, Jerry confronted me on it. He goes, Rusty, it's nice. But remember, your ministry is always an overflow of your inner life. 
It's the inner life of the pastor. It's not all the numbers. It's not all that. And that really stuck with me. And I think when it comes to adversity, whether it's professional, personal, or family, um, the bottom line is you got to lean into Jesus. You, you, when you make mistakes, you run to Jesus. And he's, he has been my strength. And he'll tell you what to do. If you sit with him enough, you sit at his feet enough, and you just do, do this. I do the same things I did when I was, when I gave my life to Christ. You have a daily quiet time. And, you know, I try to, I don't do it every day, but I try to have just a little simple time with the Lord every day. And he has been my father, you know, and he's met me in those moments. And there's a theology of suffering in Scripture. It really, our best moments often, the ones that we get into closest contact with God, are in times of pain, you know, in times of suffering. You come to the end of yourself and you, be, you find the beginning of God, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so God never wastes pain. There's a purpose for your pain. And if you turn to the Lord, he will use it. He'll grow you. It'll be a testimony to people who are watching, and he'll give you the strength to carry on what he's got for your life. He'll give you what you get, what you need to get you through what you're going through, right? Yep. So. Yep. And I've seen that in you, man. You know, you've kept oh, going. You've uh, you, you've had some some uh, awesome victories in ministry, some big high highs, and you've had some really tough lows and you're still going you know still following and you look in scripture and you see that same pattern you know mm-hmm. you see Moses who was undoubtedly called by God yeah. um, but who spent a lot of his time wandering around you know <laughs> kicking against the rocks yeah trying to trying to lead you know ornery people that's right or rebellious and, uh, people yeah and David you know you see a guy who so many victories, but so many personal failures and mm-hmm. and um, leadership failures and everything else. And so, you know, I like to think that we come from that line mm-hmm. and we're able to walk in a similar way. So if you get nothing else out of this time, just know that pastors are real. Yeah. We're people too. We struggle with things just like everybody else does. We just have a unique calling and God uses us in spite of ourselves and in spite of the pain that we yeah. go through and sometimes his message is enhanced through that oftentimes it is yeah i think that's one thing that's what i love about your ministry steve i was just got we have a friend of ours here tony calura we, we grew up with tony mm-hmm. and uh we were just talking about your unique ministry in Corsicana and how it's built on relationships and authenticity mm-hmm. and that's a philosophy that you and i share mm-hmm Matter of fact, we called our church Renovation Church because, you know, when you go into an old building and you renovate it, like you guys have done this here at Grace, um, a lot of times you'll find old furniture or there'll be a wood wall or something, and you'll refinish it, but you keep the scars. You keep the scratches on the table that you you found in the, you know, the back room somewhere, mm-hmm. and that it it's beautiful. Uh, you've renovated it, but it still has all the scars of its history. It has character. And that's what God does with us. He, he mm-hmm. takes broken people 
and he continually renovates us and we have our scars and and I think one of the things I've learned in ministry is don't hide those scars. Talk about them because what God will do is he'll take your most embarrassing moments and make them into your greatest glory. Mm-hmm. It'll be like that table. He'll renovate it and it will become part of your ministry and uh, God will use that authenticity to draw people to himself. So that's kind of, you were talking about this new church plant, the joy of this new church plant is I get to embed that cultural uh, value from the very beginning in the church. We're going to be real people with real problems who serve a real God who really loves us. It's kind of what we say a lot. And great. he's renovating us. That's, that's such a cool concept, it's isn't it? Cool concept, man. I love it. I love it. I love that he's renovating you and me. We get to do this together. We get to kick things around together. I love you. I'm so glad you're my love brother. You and thanks for taking the time to do this with us we could talk forever we're pastors but we probably ought to cut it off thanks for the time Russ Uh, love you brother if you enjoyed our show please subscribe and if you'd like to spread the word please consider leaving a five star review and tell your friends to subscribe too our video podcast is available on our Grace Community Church YouTube channel This Is My Story is produced and engineered by Jake Moore and is a ministry of Grace Community Church in Corsicana, Texas The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the speaker and do not necessarily express the views of Grace Community Church. Thanks for listening.